You can literally see a scene where you don't see it on his back at all, and then all of a sudden it's on his back. Oh yeah. yeah it's it's not the fact that he's not using it, it's the fact that it just comes and goes on a whim. Yes. Well he's pulling it out of his uh magical asshole? Yes. That's a little that's a little much. <laughs> well he's got a pouch of many things, apparently. Hmm. The sphincter of many holdings. Okay. No. No? No. Okay. Uh, Alright. Um Good day and welcome to Synaptic Misfire. My name is JP and I'll be your host. And joining me today is Eric. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Oh, well, of course these pants are fancy. I gotta bring Jinko jeans back into style somehow. And my other voice that's joining me today is Derek. You know what, JP? I've thought about it and you're really only charged with two things around here. Jack and shit. And Jack left town. And I'm the shit. <laughs> of course you are, Eric. Each week, we will take another look at a relic from our pop culture past. This week, we will be looking at Army of Darkness. And before we get started, I wanted to share with you guys what it was about Army of Darkness that left its biggest impression on me. This was really my first horror movie that I ever really sat down and watched. I was a sensitive child, and I didn't really like a lot of blood and gore. But a friend of mine said, no, you got to sit down and watch this movie. And he popped my cherry. That's a little bit disturbing. Um, but it's not even really a horror it's more like a comedy. I, I didn't really see much horror element to it. I could think of 20 horror movies off the top of my head around the same time period that were way scarier than that. It was definitely just slapstick goofiness, really. Yeah, that was honestly the thing that made me want to see it the most, is it just looked freaking hilarious. Like, I didn't get to see it till a couple years after. I mean, I was probably 12 or 13 at the time when it came out, but I... I wanted to see that movie because it just looked damn funny and just in case you haven't heard of army of darkness we figured what better way to bring you up to speed than reading the back of the box and yes i mean vhs Bound in human flesh, inked in blood, and amazingly hard to pronounce, the ancient Necronomicon, or Book of the Dead, unleashes unspeakable evil upon mankind in director Sam Raimi's outrageously hilarious sword and sorcery epic. Back to do battle with the hideous deadites, Bruce Campbell reprises his role from the Evil Dead series as Ash, the handsome gun-toting chainsaw-armed department store clerk from S-Mart's housewares division. Demonic forces time warp him and his 73 Oldsmobile into England's dark ages where he romances a beauty, played by M. Beth Davids, and faces legions of undead beasts, including a ghastly army of skeleton. Can Ash save the living from the evil dead? Rescue his girlfriend and get back to his own time? Overflowing with special effects, Army of Darkness will make you scream with fear and laughter. Alright, so sit back and relax and join us as we go up against the Army of Darkness. Are all men from the future loud mouthed braggarts? Nope. Just me, baby. Just me. 
All right, before we totally dive into this, we should kind of go into a little bit of the history of the Evil Dead series and how it kind of came to this, because I know we have a lot of stuff to kind of go over and talk about where Sam Raimi's come from and and how uh, the character of Ash has evolved over time. It's a pretty big evolution. Where did it begin? Well, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and then television where he goes into Ash versus Evil Dead. I mean, this guy's survived a very long history and you can even fill in some of the blanks with uh other things because there's the video games all almost all of them fully voiced by uh bruce campbell and then there's the comic books and there's nothing really kind of off limits with what you can do with ash because you know especially with the rules of magic and the necronomicon ex mortis being able to kind of transport him through time there's no real reason you can't really transport him through space. Um, he's been put in all sorts of situations. It's a long history. Like I was actually surprised doing a little bit of research into Ash, just how prominent and how all over the place he is. And a lot of this stuff that has spawned from it is is all fan based, isn't it? No, nope. it's kind of no. It's no. actually official from Sam. Yeah, that's not even the fan base stuff. Um, no, like like the Evil Dead movies, Army of Darkness, and the television series are definitely, definitely one hundred percent canon. But so are the video games in a sense, uh, because they were all licensed, and of course Sam Raimi would have to sign off on them being made in the first place. And even all the comic book appearances in in uh, Dark Horse Comics and uh, Marvel Comics, like they're all technically part of it there's nothing that's really not uh and it and it even ties into other things that were sam raimi at the time too there's a comic book crossover between ash williams and xena warrior princess i and and that's not that's not even the the end of it like there's you know uh army of darkness bubba hotep crossover right oh that see that i'd like to watch yeah it's it's just interesting how he's kind of been taken and placed in certain places and things you wouldn't think you know freddy versus jason versus ash right uh i i'm not even kidding like it's just it's weird but this all seems to coalesce with what's going on because even if we want to really spoil this very quickly the end of the movie of army of darkness gave an alternate ending and some people watched it and some people believe that's just an alternate reality he got shot forward to the future but there's no reason he can't go back to the past they haven't said that that was official canon and they've gone with the the original ending to you know spin off so they could do army or do anything evil dead later on down the road and so they did the original um ending the studio didn't like it so then they made them do the ending we all know and love and that left the door open and then they didn't touch it in terms of film until they got to ash versus evil dead and most of what the ash evil dead was spawned by the fans because like Sam Raimi, he did those evil dead movies beforehand. And then he did a remake of the evil dead where he took it from a B rated horror and he did like a full on horror movie. He kind of stripped all the humor out of it. Uh, different actors, of course, and that's fine, but he, he made it into the horror, scary, make you uneasy movie that he, I think he wanted to make originally with the, the evil dead, but the fans didn't like it. It didn't resonate because at this point now, everyone's come to expect the kind of machismo and, and the cheesy humor and all the stuff that really made the evil dead and army of darkness thrive it was such a departure from the original movie that's like going to watch sam raimi's spider-man 
and then it's followed up by Amazing Spider-Man from from the uh, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, that would be like it. They wouldn't mesh well, and one fan base would clash with the other, as obviously it's seen. And even before they released this movie, they they had a lot of um, toss up over the title in sort of an homage to the older kinds of movies for the the evil or. Uh, Army of Darkness, Sam Raimi wanted to do like the Abbott and Costello meet the mummy style of title where it was, you know, like Ash versus the Evil Dead or Ash Williams versus the Army of Darkness. I think that's what he wanted the original title to be. No, that wasn't the original title. The original title proposed was actually Medieval Dead. Right. Ah, yes. And I really like that. Like, it makes me think of that Sir Daniel uh, game for the PlayStation or whatever, Medieval. Mm-hmm. But still, like, that that's such a cool title because it goes from the Evil Dead and it goes back to Medieval Times, Medieval Dead. That's freaking clever as hell. I loved it. Yeah, that, that meshes really well. And... I know it's like that on the DVDs I got. I never watched it in theaters or have seen any other copies, so I, I'm not too sure if this is something they just changed for the DVD. But it starts out on mine where it says Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. Yes, yes, that's what it was. Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness. That was actually the title that stuck in Japan. That actually became a thing in Japan. That was their their theatrical release of it was Bruce Campbell versus the Evil Dead. And he actually got known to be Captain Supermarket in Japan. Um, there's a, a whole poster where they have added Campbell's soup to it and all sorts of weird stuff in the background. I'm going to have to put this up as our image or a thumbnail for this episode. <laughs> there's so much going on in that picture. It's insane. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Oh, it is. Yeah, Medieval Dead didn't work out for uh, one reason, and that was basically because the studio, in a way, wanted to make Army of Darkness an independent film, even though they were using a character and kind of going over Evil Dead 1 and 2 in kind of a mishmash prologue. um, They wanted to be able to market this completely separately. Um, And it's interesting because you can actually independently watch any of those three films and never need the others at all like you could go in watching army of darkness never having watched anything else and they get you up to speed enough so you know the very minimal basics and then put you into army of darkness that was the thought process behind uh going into the next film as well was they they wanted to leave it open enough that they could do anything and still make it a film that would be independent from everything else which is kind of weird considering you would think it would be a trilogy um but it's not it's actually very loosely done so that Every film, like Evil Dead was just supposed to be a standalone. Evil Dead 2 was a remake and again, a standalone. And then Army of Darkness was so far removed from the original premise of the first two, it was a standalone. And only until they get to the three season series of Ash vs. Evil Dead do they actually start tying anything in. Well, and Army of Darkness actually did a really good job of just doing a really quick rundown at the beginning to fill in all the spaces like yeah you haven't seen any of the evil dead movies this is what happens bada bing bada bang bada boop okay now you're here and they did a really good job at tying that into the beginning of the movie and they at least go over the important bits like okay he's got a chainsaw hand you kind of need to touch on that and explain that to your audience before you get into the rest of the movie yeah and they did it quickly and succinctly at the very beginning which was more than enough, and also to introduce the book. Um, the, the Necronomicon becomes kind of the thing that ties everything together. Um, it's the explanation for everything, even in the video games and stuff. The Necronomicon's behind everything. It's the MacGuffin. 
it's the MacGuffin, but it's just got so much ancient power behind it uh, that it's something that they have to note. And it's it's what affects all of Ash's reality. Like Ash wouldn't be where he was if it wasn't for the Necronomicon constantly steering him into the trouble he's always in. Could you imagine if this movie had been PG-13 like Universal Studios had wanted it to be? It would have been worse somehow. Would it have been worse? That is a debatable thing. Because in all honesty, it's not its not what you would call the best made film, period. No, but it's the over-the-top gore that really gets it, like that, that comedic effect is so over-the-top. Well, there's really not all that much gore to it. If you look, you know, you walk past, obviously, the, the skeletons and and a couple corpses that are fighting in the main battle. Uh, there's the giant splash of red paint or blood or whatever that's supposed to be because no human body has that much liquid in it i'm sorry but i mean there's there's that and yeah but i don't i don't think outside of that is there really any major bits of gore uh not really like the closest would probably be when you know we get to evil ash that's about as gruesome as it really gets and and that's kind of the weird part between the themes of the three films you know uh as JP was saying, the first one was kind of a horror, but with a little bit of slapstick. And then the second one was very horror. Like they were going for trying to scare you, trying to show as much gore as possible, trying to, you know, really make you be on the edge of your seat. And then you get to Army of Darkness. And if it wasn't for swearing and, you know, a lot of blood everywhere, uh, you'd swear you were watching like some, some dirty version of uh, uh, Three Stooges, man. Like it was just oh, yeah. slapstick. You just, you can't. Yeah sit there and look at it and go this is very serious content you're, you're looking at it and it's like the blood's a mild emphasis to the ridiculousness of the humor that goes with it well and but the the humor would have gone as well because then the, at being pg-13 they couldn't use certain topics they can't use alcohol references or tobacco and that kind of thing and that also affects how your movie looks sounds and feels mm-hmm but a lot of the humor, too, is it's dumb, stupid humor. I don't think there's a lot of smoking or sex or alcohol-related jokes to it. It's just, I think I think a lot of it, like, honestly, I didn't even realize it wasn't PG-13 until you just brought it up. It's a lot of, I think it might have a lot to do with, you know, the scary situations or, or stuff like that, right? Having just, skeletons alone, right? Yeah, like, it. I, I, I definitely don't find it to be that mature of a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand the R rating. Like, even for swearing, there's like only a couple swear words throughout the whole thing. So I was kind of mystified. It's like, why would this be R rating? And it can't be the blood. You can't take the blood seriously. Like, it's just syrup with red dye number five. And who fucking cares, right? Like, it just gets everywhere. But you don't get to see guts. You don't get to see human intestines. No. You don't get to see decapitations or anything like that. I don't understand the R rating. But at the same token, too, like looking back at the time and the era when this movie came out, it was a lot easier to get an R rating and didn't really have to do as much. And compared to what you see just on normal freaking TV today, this is this is comedic Muppet show stuff right here. Well, it was then too. I don't think it was really ever serious. I remember my first viewing of it and I was surprised at how much it was just comedy and the special effects even looked kind of bad then. Um, as much as some people praise some of the special effects, I, I still think they just looked campy and hokey and you couldn't take it seriously. It wasn't real gore where you look at it and you're like, oh, oh God, that's disgusting. And you turn away and, and vile, you know, looking at it, it's just vile to you. You can't 
you can't look at it. It's not like that. None of it was, you know, those skeletons are moving around. And you're like, those are obvious puppets. Like and that was when I was a kid. <laughs> well, when I was a kid though, I was really sensitive and I was scared of anything horror. So I avoided that movie like a plague because it was a quote unquote horror movie. It had blood, blood made me uneasy. So I never watched it. And this movie actually helped me get over a lot of that um, anxiety I had around those kinds of movies at the time. Cause some, uh, a friend of mine actually sat me down and said, you need to watch this. It's funny. And then we watched it together and it was hilarious. And it was because it was so bad and so over the top and, and just, I don't know. Like, I remember seeing the trailer for it and it was, I, I was laughing at it. I, I watched a lot of horrors when I was, when I was younger. I liked the horror movies, Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers and whatnot. I was, I was really big into that shit when I was little. And I remember seeing the trailer for it and I was laughing because I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I wasn't sure if maybe that was, you know, you know, just because I was a weird kid or something like that. But then, then watching the trailer again recently, I'm like, no, they, they really stick it as a comedy. And I think when we're watching it, it, Derek pointed out a very valid point. It's not just a comedy. It's a movie that kind of thinks it's three things at once. It's a medieval movie, a comedy, slapstick, and a little bit of horror all mixed in together. And sometimes the one will outpower the others to such a point that you really forget what type of movie you're watching. Yeah, it's it's so all over the place thematically. I had an interesting time watching it because of the swift changes and seeing the influences. Uh, like I mentioned to Eric, this was a movie that was produced by uh, Dino De Laurentiis. And he's known for a lot of the big sword and sorcery movies back in the time. That's how they got the castle. Well, there wasn't much of a castle if you see the if you see no. the behind the scenes stuff. It was just a this wall, and then yeah, and then a lot of it was like you know painted in stuff to make it look bigger. Like they only shot from one angle. They make it seem like they're shooting from multiple angles in the courtyard, and it's really the same fucking wall every time. But Dino De Laurentiis, he was behind stuff like uh, Conan and and a lot of the big sword and sorcery pictures back in the day. So for him to have a feel production-wise as to what he wanted for the fantasy elements, you can really feel Dino's influences on things. But then Sam Sam Raimi takes over for all the rest of it, and he mixes in his horror slash comedy. And it's funny to listen to him talking you know, behind the scenes to the actors and stuff, because he's always going, all right, now I need you to be scary, right? Do something scary. And then he turns around and he goes, I need you to be funny. I want you to shake or something, do something funny, right? And so he was always getting the actors kind of jump one to the other back and forth. You know, this moment can be funny, but this moment has to be scary. And he was trying to mix it. But the thing is, I, I think scared was the least thing that I felt when I watched it. No, even back in the day. And there's there's also a lot of little um, extra things that kind of went into this movie. Um, S-Mart, I guess, was an actual chain of grocery stores. Yes, down in New Mexico. Oh. So it's kind of funny that it's even mentioned. It's like, shop smart, shop S-mart. And I'm like, that's probably even a jingle. I don't I even bet. doubt that that would probably be the company jingle at the time. I thought that it was a joke. Like, I thought it was a spoof made up thing to to uh, spoof off of Kmart. And the, that way they could have that kind of a store in their movie and not get sued out the ass. But I guess not. Maybe they got sponsored by S-Mart from Mexico. <laughs> yeah, New Mexico didn't care at some point. They're just like, yeah, go ahead, use our, our it's advertising. We, we don't get it. Is, is that actually what it was drawn from? Or was it just a name that they came up with and it just happened to be the same name as a oh, chain that's a good from question. New Mexico? I doubt, 
I doubt they could get away with it. A lot of big film companies usually have somebody that's, you know, fairly aware as to what out there and what's trademarkable. So, you know, for them to actually not know is kind of surprising when when you can kind of find that information pretty early on. And the Oldsmobile, that 73 Oldsmobile that they referenced on the back of the box, that's apparently the same one that Sam Raimi has used in almost all of his movies. I think he's got four of them. Um, One was destroyed for this show or on its way out or something. They dropped it from a crane, which ended up falling. And there's a whole sordid history around that. But they also, this is the same Oldsmobile that was in Spider-Man that Uncle Ben drove, right? Uh, if you just look at his movies, you'll see it in there somewhere. And then once again, reappearing in Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah. And what's funny about that is that Sam Raimi cared so little about what they saw of the car. Um, the scene where he opens the trunk and he's going through to get the books to kind of help out with the battle and stuff. All that all, all that stuff aside from the books in the back of the trunk is actually Sam Raimi's stuff. He just never took it out. He didn't take it out because he's like, yeah, it looks like a trunk shoot it yeah so those the comic book that's in there and and all the other stuff is just his stuff that he had in the back of his trunk at the time (laughs) yeah nothing nothing play everybody's like it's an easter egg and it's like it has nothing to do with any of that that's just his shit oh freaking fans are the worst always looking into the conspiracy shit that's why like like eric was talking about the s smart chain was it just a happy coinkydink or was it nefarious purposes well i don't think the purposes would have been nefarious i think they might have just picked the name and went with it, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, exactly. It's a good question to ask. Some people would just have assumed, like me. (laughs) All right, well, let's go on to the first kind of uh, big scene that really makes the movie. It sets the tone for the movie. It gives you a a feeling of what the character is like, the uh, Ash Williams. And it's it's just a full of so much fun. I believe it's called the pit bitch scene where they have the open pit. This is right after we've caught back up with the very beginning intro of the movie where he's walking into the chains that he could Roger Rabbit himself out of, but he doesn't. And then they end up getting into the little fort or the, the uh, um, uh, castle area where there's this big pit. It looks like something out of Star Wars. And... They're going to start dumping people in there. <laughs> the first person, that's what you were talking about, Eric, the, the the blood, right? Oh, yeah. He just goes in and it's just quiet for a second. You hear that scream. And then it's like a fire hose of this bright red shit just comes spraying out. And I love, <laughs> I love how he goes in and everybody just stands there for a second. And then they all lean forward. Even guys that are nowhere near the fucking pit. Everybody's just leaning forward and then all of a sudden you just see the giant spray like a freaking volcano of blood just goes off (laughs) a there's not that much blood in a human body and b there's no way there's enough force to squirt at that high ever and the janitor did some real good work there because none of that evidence is there afterwards there's no blood there's no splatter anywhere buddy's working overtime it's like okay there's another one start scrubbing for the next one you'd almost think they did have fire hoses to spray it all off i don't know maybe they used a toothbrush but i love this bit is because when they first come in and and henry's talking to ash and he's like yeah i don't know you all this other stuff and ash is like all like okay annoyed and shit that he's in this situation and then after buddy gets in there and gets splattered. Then he just realizes the situation he's in. He's like, oh man, I'm not with these guys. Fuck those guys. Like just throws them out of the bus. He just 
backpedals, eh? He's like, mm, no, fuck this. No, I ain't doing this. No, 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 no. I got nothing to do with these guys. Totally shows his character. He's out for himself, number one. He doesn't know any of these people. He doesn't give a shit. Now, all of a sudden, he realizes the danger he's in. Okay, yeah, no, get me out of here, buddies. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole scene, there's so many things to pick apart about it, too. Um, pr- The one thing that me and Eric both viewed when we were watching it is when the walls start coming in, multiple times they back up again, and they it looks like they're starting all over again. And the scene lasts so long. Like you're, you're thinking to yourself, it's only going to take like 15 seconds for those things to close in on him. I know. <laughs> and then, and then there was a couple other thoughts because they, they were very inconsistent with their shots of the cave. So if you see it, there's one back wall, uh-huh. the two spike walls. And then when you look from the back wall across, there's a cave. Yeah. It's a big open cavern. Go that way. Exactly. And then and we thought that, but then they do a shot where where after he kills the initial uh, woman that's down there, um, he's he's supposed to be facing that direction, and all of a sudden there's a wall there, and then out of that wall comes the pit bitch. The pit bitch was actually played by the same guy who did the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Anyway, continue. <laughs> that's a random fact. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that's a very random off the cuff. I'd never know. Um, but anyway, they cut away from from where the, he came out of the wall, and they cut back to to Bruce, and then they cut back to the pit bitch, and the wall's gone, and and the open space is there again, and then the walls are closing in, and we're just like, run for the place where you could stand and not get hit. Well, even on the far wall, there was room for him just to you know cozy up to the wall, and he'd have been fine. Yep. It was just, it was like the worst death trap ever made, like. Looney Tunes, the coyote had better death traps for the Roadrunner than this fucking setup. And, and they even used foam spikes for it. And you can see them as they brush up against them, how they bend and flop. It's, it's so bad. Well, and, and it's even worse for the, the woman that got stuck on it because on the one side, there was a spike right by her head. And they didn't shoot from that angle, but from the from the behind the scenes stuff, she's moving her head around. You see the spike just bending all over the place and stuff. And it's like, that takes me right out of it. Well, and the chain that he ends up, you know, using his belt to strap onto the, to pull himself up, which, you know, operates the mechanism for these freaking uh, uh, spiked walls. It, it's in the middle. So when those spikes come in, they're going to pin the chain. Yeah. So you've really kind of, this is like a one-time deal with these spikes. Like, like this is the thing you use for those big, big moments. And this isn't just like, oh, we forgot to put the guy's sash on the right side for this scene. This entire freaking scene is full of so many inconsistencies. It's insane. When Ash and Henry and all those guys are brought in, Ash was in, in the front of the group and, you know, uh, Sheila, she goes to Arthur, where's my brother or whatnot, right? And and he's like, well, he didn't make it. You know, he died in battle. Instead of going to uh, Henry, you know, you killed my my brother, your guy. Because you'd think, you know, that's the guy that's the head of the army. You know, she goes off to this random dude that's not even dressed anything like these other guys that, you know, they just assume that that was with him for no reason, I guess. And she goes after him and beats on him and ah, I hate you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, what did he do to deserve any of this? Just because he's with the guy? We'll get the guy. Um, after he dropped from the sky with the Oldsmobile, well, A, you see the one uh, 
line or something on the front of the car drop that was probably, you know, holding the car in place so it didn't go, you know, tits forward into the ground. When Ash lands, you see a bunch of gray rectangle, rectangular things that he lands on. I'm guessing they're crash pads or something. But the next scene, they're gone. So it, it was kind of funny. And then all of a sudden, you know, the armies come out and they're like, and Arthur's like, wise man, what do you think? And the wise man's like, well, I think he's the chosen one. And Arthur's like, fuck you. He's with these guys. Doesn't even take his advice into account. The, the, the leadership's awful loose in that. They just do whatever he says. Well, and it's, it's a very loose allusion to it being King Arthur as well, uh, which was on purpose by Sam Raimi. Uh, and, then, and then when you get to the part where, yeah, Bruce Campbell's out in front. It's weird that he's out in front. Uh, and then the poor guy has to suffer. Uh, Sam is kind of a little bit cruel to Bruce sometimes. He he actually gave the people when they were throwing quote unquote rocks, gave them potatoes to throw. Potatoes hurt, man. That's exactly it because he wanted the reaction from Bruce and no one told Bruce. So he literally ended up taking like a potato in the face at one point. <laughs> and, and the reaction of his pain is somewhat real, right? Like, you know, you're not, fuck, man? you're not hitting him with something that can split him open or actually do real damage, but it's still a potato. It'll get your attention. Yeah, and Sam was bad for that. He was bad for always kind of doing practical jokes to Bruce. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this, but don't tell Bruce about it. And then they would just do it to Bruce and get his reaction. And Bruce would just go with it because he knew Sam was going to fuck with him. He knew that that was going to happen. They, they'd known each other for a very long time by this point because they grew up together in Detroit. And uh, he just knew that that uh, Sam was always going to try to take the piss out of him in some way and always hurt him and, and make him have real reactions. So... You know, there's points where uh, Bruce was really pissed off on set and it had everything to do with Sam fucking with him. And that was one of them was him being pelted by potatoes and only him. They, they threw foam rocks at the rest of the cast because, you know, it's not Bruce. They had to torture Bruce. Yeah, it was just him. They had to pelt. They're different. You got to be careful with those guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, th those are real paid actors. Bruce here. He's working for potatoes. The the, um, uh, the the chainsaws that they used too, I guess they had several different styles. There was one that had like motion stuff on it where like it would look like a chainsaw for the up close shots. Um, and then they had another one that was kind of made out of foam for the action sequences. They called that one Mr. Wiggly. Um, there was pipe tobacco pumped through a hose that went up his leg and into his sleeve and then into the chainsaw. And that's how they got the smoke effect whenever it was quote unquote running. Yeah. And there's also just a lot of logistics behind that uh, chainsaw, not being able to do anything of what it was showing. Oh, I'll turn it on and I'll start cutting through stuff. And it's not how it works. Like you would not be able to do what you could do what he was doing with it. You know, you could turn on full speed. You would never cut someone's head off like that. Like he does it like he's got a sword and he just decapitates them. And it's like, no, it would catch. And Yeah, there's a good thing that Shane would have caught right up in the flesh. And yeah, yeah chainsaws are not really an effective tool for combat. I mean, it's going to suck. You're going to get hurt, but it'll be more frustrating for the operator than anything. And don't get me wrong, for the victim, it's going to be really frustrating too, but you're not going to get that sort of effect out of it. And also at certain points, it shouldn't even have been working. Like, you know, they had it go underwater and all this kind of stuff. And then you're wondering where he's getting like the, the you know, the proper, gas. well, it's not even the gas. Gas, maybe. But the proper mix of the oil that you have to put in, you have to put in a very specific oil to make a chainsaw run. And it's got to have a certain balance to it. And it's like, where did you guys get this? Like, how does he keep running this thing? 
Oh, he's probably got a book in his trunk. He's fine. Yeah, he's got a book of chemistry in his trunk. He's got everything in his trunk. I was, I was surprised how much shit Sam Raimi actually packs in there. It makes me wonder what his house is like. Yeah, and then you get to sort of see how he behaves when now he thinks he has the upper hand after he gets up and out of the pit. Uh, he's all machismo, and he's like, oh, hey, you want some? You want a little? Huh? Do ya? Just going around to everybody because now they're all terrified because they've seen what he does to the scary monsters. That is literally the scene that I remember because before we watched this, I had mentioned I haven't watched this since it pretty much first came out. That was a long time ago. That's 20 plus years. And really the only scene I remember is is him coming out and doing his whole entire thing. And he's like, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. You see this? This is my boomstick the 12 gauge double barreled remington s mart's top of the line you can find this in the sporting goods department that's right this sweet baby was made in grand rapids michigan retails for about 109.95 it's got a walnut stock cobalt blue steel and a hair trigger that's right shop smart shop s mart you got that and they all just kind of, you know, shudder in fear. And then he goes on his little friggin' spiel and tries to sell it pretty much to the crowd. You know, it's like it's like retails for about one hundred nine nine ninety five. It's got a walnut stuck, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop s smart. You got that. And these poor <laughs> bastards have no clue what he's saying whatsoever. Like none of this makes sense to them. He's sitting here pretty much trying to get an upsell, and that's probably gonna be like a religious chant for them now. You know, the chosen one that defeated the Deadites. Shop smart. Shop as smart. Like, is that a battle cry to them? Like, we don't know what he's saying. Apparently, that should be something we should start chanting now. Well, that's something that happens in these movies like that when they come to the future. You know, like Mr. Bean, he's driving somebody's car. Someone flips in the bird. So that's how he says hello to everybody. I mean, I got to admit, he's more of a consummate professional company man than he thought he was because he's even hawking the stuff when he's not in the right time period to do so so yeah <laughs> it shows that he knows his product and that's a good thing well and the funny thing here is henry terrible winner you know he gets released and the first thing he does is grab one of the other guys by the face and starts laughing in his face about it he starts like laughing at him thanks for the hospitality and then him and his people leave well and then arthur's like stop and what all they're whatever but so like they, they didn't close the gates there was no other soldiers that could stop them they all just sat there and watched them as you know their their enemies just pissed off yeah the portocollis is wide open any other army could have invaded at that time and no one was prepared <laughs> no there's not a whole lot of thinking going on with a lot of this shit in the movie well i don't think thinking was a part of it i really th this is the thing like i get army of darkness is fun and as pure entertainment it's a hell of a ride, but but uh, even up to this point, you know, we're not even that far into the film, and it's so out of order. Like first, you know, if you want to get into the technicals, this was you know, the medieval times. Um, you know, we're back in the early 1300s, and yet they have a modern forged chain for the pit. Well, hell, Arthur Arthur's got shoelaces. Exactly, like, like the very fact that he says shoelaces to him, and he knows what he's referring to. I I mean, it's perhaps possible at that point, but it's funny because it's like you're in your armor at this point you're not wearing shoelaces so why did you look like an idiot well i do love the look he gives him that untrusting glare and then slowly just sort of tilts his head down a little bit and the eyes slowly go down like he's like 
no, m- m- maybe. And then pow, right to the kisser. <laughs> oh, well, it's it's Bruce Campbell's comedic timing is aces when it comes to that kind of stuff. Uh, you can't knock the fact that, yes, in terms of a comedy, this was hilarious. Uh, I just felt that uh, even at this point, it's a very mixed feeling of what this movie is going to be about and with that mixed feeling you're not 100% sure what you're going to get and so you're not sure what you should be doing half the time should you be scared should you be laughing should you be cheering him on should you be on the other guy's side so many questions and with Bruce being uh, pretty much unknown at this point it's kind of hard to know you should root for him you root for him in the sense of what Sam Raimi described of Bruce Campbell once which is you know, he was the good-looking guy with the square jaw, and he's very Hollywood-esque in his look. So on average, in terms of just looking at him, you would want to cheer for him. But then you meet his attitude and his overall uh, demeanor towards his situation, and you're like, is this guy serious? Like, what is he going to do? Is this a, a hero coming sort of story? And later on, no, you don't even think that. Like, you're so at odds with how you should think about Ash Williams that you're just not sure what you should be doing. Well, and you see that in the next scene. He's sitting on the throne, getting fed, you know, grapes and, you know, wined and dined by all these hot chicks and whatnot. And then this chick comes in, the one that attacked him earlier, Sheila, and apologizes. And the first thing is this cocky comment is like, is like, first you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me? And then he goes, blow. And then he spits some food out. Not at her, but it's like, well, this guy's a freaking prick. Like, he's not your he's not your stereotypical hero. You know, somebody finds themselves in this situation and they rise up. And, and yeah, he does later on. But his character really doesn't change all that much. No, he's he's pretty... He, he's not even really an anti-hero because at least an anti-hero does good. He just screws up enough to get what he wants. Well, he plays a pretty good everyman here. Like, this is probably what a lot of people would be like, given this situation. Like, you find out you're going to get thrown into a pit. Well, fuck that. I'm not with these guys. No, 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 no. Hold on. You know, backpedal, backpedal. Do what you can to get out of it. Now now you're in the clear and the free, and everybody sort of is is at awe. Well, now you're going to be cocky about it. Even when he wasn't cocky about it, when he comes back later with the Necronomicon, he was telling people to get the fuck out of his face because he just doesn't want to deal with any of it anymore. He just wants to go home. Yeah, he's got such a an attitude towards the whole entire situation. I just need to walk away from this as soon as possible because he's he's already gone through the grinder within the first two films, which is one film, very confusing. Um, but he's gone through the grind enough that he just doesn't want to be part of this crazy ride anymore. He's had it. Yeah, and... and um going to Eric's point there about the everyman and how he this is kind of how we would react there's another scene a little bit later too where there had this montage about him building a gauntlet replacement hand that is far more advanced than anything that we can currently do with modern technology and a primitive screw head himself is doing this yeah he showed a lot of mechanical know-how considering he's in the past and yet they they do things like the mechanical hand or rebuilding the engine to the car and you're and you're sitting there going like how like are you really good with cars uh, and and how did you figure out the hand and how did he's you really good at everything in this movie if you look like he becomes a, a incredibly skilled fighter incredibly skilled uh horseback rider he's great with chemistry uh he's a expert tactician like hey he's the perfect example of 
you know, you just give it a try and you'll succeed. Well, that's why that's why we went over the premise, the theory that this is actually just an exaggerated story in his head, um, because we're, we're, you know, you know, by the end of it, he's narrating to a guy who's in the store to him and he's just sharing his story. And you're sitting there going, how much of that was utter bullshit? Like, how much did he actually make that up? And and how real is Ash Williams in his own mind? Yeah, that's, that's that's funny. I didn't actually think of it that way. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it sure does. I hadn't thought about it that way either. And that would actually make a cool premise for a remake of Army of Darkness, where they actually do it from what really happened instead of as a story being told. All respect to Mr. Campbell, I think he's a little old to reprise his younger self. <laughs> well, no, they would probably have to get a replacement, you know, somebody you that he's working with. replace Bruce Campbell? What are you, nuts? First of all, who's got that jawline all over again? Who's got that particular chin? Nobody in the world. Christopher Reeves. Nope, he's dead. Well, he's kind of dead. And he didn't even have it. I'm sorry, but you look at Bruce Campbell and they, you know, they've called him the uh, best uh, Hollywood headshot. He's a very, he's got a very distinct look to him. And it changes throughout this movie. Long hair, short hair, long hair, short hair. Oh, every, everything that was going on inconsistency all throughout. If we go back to that scene where you're talking about where he's like eating grapes from the women and that kind of stuff and they're all praising him. Um, remember that extra? I pointed out that extra to you. Oh, yeah. So the wise man comes in and he has this extra with him and it's this older guy and I swear it's got to be like a, a cast member's relative or some shit. Like never, never acted in a movie before because every single time you see him, he's just walking behind the wise man and he's looking at the ground intently because he's trying to hit his mark. And and in that first scene that you get to see him, the wise man walks up and he doesn't look at his mark at all. He goes right up to where he's supposed to be. But the wise, the guy behind him, he's looking at the ground and then he glances over towards where the camera is, but he doesn't look at the camera. He had to line himself up. He probably went out of the shot like 10 fucking times and they said, look for your mark. So he directly looked at it. Speaking of looking at the floor, when that water spills... Yeah. Remember you pointed that out. I didn't see that. It's not as, you know, that's an awfully smooth finished floor for a castle in the 1300s was it yeah it, it was it was actually a modern concrete floor like polished and everything and i'm just like what the hell <laughs> this isn't possible couldn't you have roughed it up a little yeah they didn't even try to throw some dirt on it or something it's funny it's it's the little things that you you may not notice and it's stuff that you can get away with it, it was that and Derek pointed like half these out where I'm just kind of like on autopilot watching the movie it was it was the floor the guy watching at his for his mark because after I watched it again I couldn't not notice that and then the very beginning uh, to bring it really far back when they're doing the recap and he's getting and Bruce Campbell's getting sucked out of the cabin when he's going through the to the portal and he's spinning around you can see the harness, the line, the hook, everything that's spinning that he's hanging off of. Oh yeah, it's like a Star Trek ship. Yeah, it, it's I never noticed it before, but but when you notice it, you can't unsee it, and it's it's a good thing that's a very short scene because it is super obvious, especially with that older guy because we we started watching him after that, and he's like, oh, there he is again. Is he looking for his mark? Is he looking for his mark? <laughs> And again, he did it again. The second time he walked up behind the guy, he had to work his way past this guy, but he was paying attention to the ground so much. He was trying to hit his mark. And then this guy, this extra is kind of sort of standing in his way. So he kind of like shoulders around him to make sure he's standing right where he needs to be. And I'm just like, oh my God, 
Who hired this guy? Hilarious. Like he's like rushing to get into position. It was yep. oh, have to be on dude. my mark. Have to be on my mark. That's my job. I have no lines. I have to be on my mark. And you guys were telling me about some sort of a, an extra, and I'm and I went and did a watch of it after you guys mentioned it. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I know it's in the first little bit, and I'm looking at all the extras in the pit bitch scene, and I don't see anything. And I'm I'm looking for something where like somebody has a Rolex or something, and they're or somebody pulls out a phone, and you know they're caught doing something out of character and now that you've said the the thing for the mark i gotta go back and check that out because i can totally picture the guy looking like what you were saying about at the camera and yeah he got shit for that he definitely caught shit for that and knew don't look at the camera but i need to know where i am uh peripheral vision peripheral vision yeah okay i'm good well yeah because it was in a pure wide shot so everybody that was in it would be end to end to the the ends of the wide screenshot so basically the uh, Sheila's back is a, at the very back of it. And so is this extras. So yeah, he definitely looks. And I was just like, I can't believe it. And Eric's like, what? And I'm just like, his mark. He's looking for his mark. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, fluorescent fucking paint on the ground. They just spray it on. It's usually like water soluble so they can remove it or they, they put it down as tape. But he's trying to hit his mark. And he can't do it without looking down. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Rolex, Ash's watch. Man, oh. it must have been a Timex because it took a lick and... I'm assuming it kept on ticking. It didn't look like it was beat to shit. It looked like but... it was new the entire time. And even on even on uh, on his evil self, there's a copy of it. And I'm like, he fucking never took it off, did he? Like it, it's just nice and <laughs> shiny and new. Like nothing's broken. It doesn't look dirty at all. And we're kind of so... jumping around here, but that reminds me on his evil self. He has the mechanical hand. Uh, he's got the, the 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 watch. He's got everything. But he didn't have the boomstick or, or well, obviously not the chains, chainsaw because he wasn't wearing it or didn't have it attached to him at the time, I guess. But could you imagine that if his evil self had the boomstick? Everything got duplicated? Yeah. Like he, they already duplicated his clothing. But that actually does get us on to our next scene that we're going to go after here is where Ash gets the, the book and like the birth of evil Ash and that whole... Um, um, interaction they have because this is kind of like the climax of the movie this is where shit starts to get real he's he's actually going to get what he's supposed to get yeah that whole scene with evil the well the mini ashes to begin with and you know what we we originally watched the director's cut and there was so much more added into that windmill se- scene that they took out and a lot of it tied in really well to what was going on i'm surprised they took it out uh like when he goes to step on the mini ashes and he's he's yelling london bridge is falling down his face is covered with soot but you don't know how Uh, he ends up smacking his head on that soot pipe like three four times until at one time it actually busts and sprays him in the face and that's when they start laughing at him and that's when he's like, Arr! and and you want to talk Three Stooges shit. Like this whole scene is filled with slapstick. Oh my God. And it's awesome. I freaking loved it. It was hilarious. It is the scene I remember most from watching it. Um, it came out in 92. I don't think I actually got to watch it till I was around 16, 17 years old. And it was, it's the scene I remember the most because it was so much fun. And uh, the one mini Ash, when he gets the, the fork thrown at him, it was like, this is where you see a lot of this, like the stupid, the stupid stuff that they, they, uh, they go for that they don't really think it through. It goes back to the whole pit thing where, you know, if you 
take three steps to the left, you're out of danger by the spikes because the cave is fucking huge. Um, there was the one guy of Henry's army. He went to run and then got nailed with the arrow from behind. He didn't bob, weave or nothing, and he got pinned to a stake. Uh, but, you know, the arrow wouldn't have pushed him into the stake. And if anything, it hit him in the back and he probably would have ran into the stake anyways. Like he hits the, the, the mini ash, goes against the table leg or something. And then he just sort of starts looking around like he's got nowhere to go. Well, just go around the leg. <laughs> you got you got you got places you got to go time. yeah but yeah. but it's it's the slapstick element like at that point they were going for such pure comedy oh yeah like like him slipping on the ground a lot of people that would watch the theatrical wouldn't know know this but uh he slips on the ground on a slippery substance and yeah it's like first a question or something that the minis throw down yeah the first thing is like where did that come from because you don't get to see that he just ends up slipping there's no rhyme or reason to it but in the original cut it's actually a bucket of lard that the minis dump onto his head and then he ends up slipping on it for quite a while like he does this little funny running kind of trying to keep his balance he flips up off his feet does a one handstand holds it for a while and then lets his body drop back down and starts slipping on it all over again with the bucket still on his head so there's there's all that kind of stuff that got missed and like i'm with eric they should have left it all in yeah they should have left it in because it made the sequence flow a lot better when we watched the cut version the theatrical cut we're like wow they went through that real fast like they didn't waste any time yeah and there's actually um uh, one of the edits is actually really rough and jarring. Um, like it, he, he does something and then you get, that's right before he's supposed to slip on the grease, I think, or the lard or whatever. And they cut that part out. And then all of a sudden it's like him just looking at them. And the way the cut is, it just sort of, it's there. It's in your face real quick. And it just kind of throws you off a little bit. But yeah, another thing about the minis, one of them jumps down his throat, right? How about some hot chocolate fucker? Yeah, but but what happened to the others? They all fucked. They all fucked off. Um, I and this goes to the whole Three Stooges old timey comedy type shit. Like he's banging around. He's got the one down his throat, and you see the one mini. He's got his hands on his cheeks, and he's screaming to whole you know to high heaven because he's like ah. And then the other two run in, grab him by the arms, and sort of just you know drag him gank, off, drag him off stage, you know stage right, right. It, it, it's it's freaking hilarious. And there, uh, there's actually a little reference that Sam Raimi had thrown into another Japanese American B horror film called The Manster. And it's that when when there's that eye in the shoulder, I guess that's that's a a, a visual that was done in an older movie that he kind of uh, idolized, I guess. Well, Sam Raimi tends to borrow from a lot of things, even when we finally get to the graveyard, mm -hmm. we have to deal with him doing his little chant, right? And it's actually almost a direct rip from the day that Earth stood still. Yeah. But it's not quite. There's actually one word that's different within it, and that is barato to veratu. And that's the only difference between the two. He literally gets him to say this line, and that that's somehow the the magic line for everything he ends up doing in the in the movie. Klatu barata nikto. Yeah, and that kind of um that's that's like the the linchpin for everything that kind of goes wrong um and when he's giving him that that line and he's like oh repeat it again yeah yeah i got your stupid words but the set area that they're recording in is the the place from that uh, uh famous battle 
of Kirk and that lizard guy on the original Star Trek. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, those those have been used in a bunch of different movies. It was also used in uh, Power Rangers. It was also used oh, yeah. in um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's actually the cliffs, I believe, where the robot Bill and Ted kill Bill and Ted on. Um, very, very famous um, scenery. Oh, yeah. And, and Hollywood loves to do that. They reuse their sets all the time. Like there's this one wedge corner shop that's used in so many movies. When he's growing out of the side of Ash's head, there's a couple times where you can like one point where it's totally claymation howling at the moon. I love that howl. Yeah, there's another part where you can actually see that it's just two actors that are kind of close together or where it's been green screened and he's poking himself in the face. But the part that's the really the 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 weirdest looking one is when it's the doll and he's doing the crab walk away. That just looks so goofy. You just sort of see it dangling off his shoulder off to the one side. And it's like, well, it's even worse if you watch the uh director's cut of it because there's actually one part where they go quite a ways down the hill doing that crab walk and it's very fast speed and as they're coming down the hill if you look carefully between their legs you can actually see this post that's holding up the actor all along with the animatronic so it's coming down and you're, and you're watching it and then you see this post holding them up in between so they they cut it from the theatrical because it was so easy to spot like I pointed out, Eric, I'm like, look at that thing. Like, wow, he's got a piece of wood up his ass. Then once they finally do split, I love that little spot where he's like, what the? Who are you? Well, I'm bad ash. And you're good ash. You're goody little two shoes. And the, the little dance he does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Until he hits the, gets the shot or the, the, the boomstick to the face. Yeah. And he goes flying back into that tree. That's a, that was a hell of a flip. And it was it was such a good cut scene because again it was you know this guy is trying to distinguish what Ash is as as a character. He's saying he's good Ash, and it's like, but is he right? Like he even mentions it in the line. He says, "Good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun." Yes, and the original line was uh, what did he say? I don't know about good or something like that. That was in the director's cut. Yeah, they they had a whole different line for it. Uh, it's just not as iconic though. Oh no, the, the the I'm the guy with the gun. Beautiful line. Love it. It's it's like it made that scene. Well, and it it also put him back into ambiguous territory, which is kind of where we're supposed to feel with Ash anyway. Are we supposed to cheer for him? We really don't know because he's kind of a dick. He just doesn't care. He really doesn't care. And and it's really just kind of more what Ash wants in the moment, and that's what he's going to fight for. Yeah, and then when he's picking the um uh the books out at the uh, um, at the graveyard, there's three of them, and they didn't warn him about that. Like, how do you miss a detail like that? And I'm curious, what the heck would have happened if he had said those words properly? Would the right book have glowed? Would, you know, like some angels come down from heaven and go, oh, like, what the fuck? If he had said the words, my assumption is the dead wouldn't have risen. He would have been able to grab the book and leave, you know, but would there have been a visual cue? Uh, there might have been there might have been some sort of cue because you know when he says it wrong, you hear the loud thunder in the background and then you know the gray skies start thundering and all this other stuff and lightning starts striking the castle. <laughs> it's funny because uh, like obviously Ash obeys the laws of cartoon Philip uh, physics. 
Yes. Through this whole freaking movie. Like it's like half the stuff he does is straight out of the Warner Brothers cartoons. Like when yep. the first one, the first book sucks him in and his, you know, his arms are like super long as he's trying to fight getting pulled in, into the book. And then when he, he manages to get out, his jaw is like three feet long and his face is all stretched out. So he did get chin implants to enhance his machismo, didn't he? <laughs> I knew it. He just got it stretched out. That's all he did. Yeah, it's just a little stretch. It's all good. A little more square, a little longer. So after, you know, he gets fucked over by the first one. He's trying to place the second one, which is the one that I'm going to go for. Goes to reach for the one on the top. And then he's like, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, you're not getting me this time. And then he goes for the one in the middle because he figures that's probably it, right? And he is chosen poorly because this one starts chomping on his hands and, you know, it's flying around him like a fucking bat and chewing on him and whatnot. And then eventually it lands back on the, the, the pedestal and he's looking at it and he's like oh i'll come back to you later like he's threatening the book like he's he's so pissed off and then you know he goes to grab the third one and, and that's when he realizes he can't remember the words and i don't blame him because i can't remember the words now and we've just mentioned them five times Klaatu, Barada, Nick <laughs> yeah and he I love it he looks around as there's some as if there's somebody in the freaking graveyard staring at him like okay let's see if he does it if he doesn't do it then you know I'm gonna have to come after or whatever like do you know the real gaff to that scene though is the funny part is he tr tries so hard to not say the last word he goes you know necktie oh that's not it you know it's an n-word it's an n-word right but when he coughs if you listen very carefully as he's coughing, he actually says Nikto properly. Does he? You, you actually hear the coughing. He's like, Klaatu, Brada, Nikto. And he says it properly. It's actually in there. So if, if you know, there's a clip of it and you hear it, you, you, can, you can hear him say Nikto as he's coughing. Or maybe Klaatu, Brada, Nikto was never going to change anything. I also noticed too that when Badash comes out, he's got both hands. He grew his hand back. Yes, I actually notice this i didn't notice that at this point i did notice it at the end battle scene when he gets the hand cut off that was holding the the book is they were both bone hands so yeah when when he gets resurrected it's he regained his hand somehow and that's and that's actually not inconsistent because uh there's a very similar thing that happens within uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. In Ash versus Evil Dead, the same thing. Uh, a clone of him himself is created, and once again, it's Bad Ash. And once again, he has his hand. And it's one of the first things that one of the other characters notices. Is it's like, hey, you got your hand back. And you know what I, I, I think that is? They already took his hand. Yeah, the Necronomicon already claimed it. It's already evil. It's already corrupted. Oh, speaking of his hands, bringing it back to the windmill scene just a bit with the mini ashes, the perfect thing they did, if you notice... You know, was it his right hand? That's the one that's missing, right? If you look at the minis, it's their left hand. So it'd be the perfect mirror image. So it was, a, I, I didn't notice that until I, the last time I watched it. The details they pay attention to, right? Like what the fuck? It, it's funny is some some of the details are spot on and, and really cool if you notice them. And then a lot of the details are just garbage. It's, it's so much inconsistency with a lot of it. Like, yeah, his hair when he's going through the, the forest heading towards the cemetery, right? Yeah, far shots away, really long. Close shots, it's really short and neat and freshly cut. That and he gets clotheslined by a tree, falls into a giant mud puddle, and then half the time he's really it's it's really wet. Half the time it's super dry. So yeah. Anyways, um, 
And then he does the whole uh, Three Stooges routine out of the graveyards. You know, they, they grab his tongue and they, you know they, they give him the eye poke and nah, nah, nah. oh, wise guy, eh? Nah, nah, nah. I love that. That made me laugh so hard. That's actually there's a bit in there that actually a guy had to mention uh, in the the extras, and he was actually saying that Bruce Campbell's the king of acting backwards. Uh, he says nobody in the industry can do it quite like Bruce because there's one point where the hand goes up into his mouth and it's actually a reverse shot. It's actually being pulled out of his mouth, but Bruce is able to say the words and articulate them backwards as he's saying them. Really? Because you, you hear him say his line before it gets shoved into his mouth and you see his mouth yeah. moving to it properly, but it's actually him acting backwards. Huh. So he's really amazing at that and I, I didn't even think it was a reverse shot i thought it was like somehow they had like a a string and they pulled it up and made it look like it went into his mouth from the side or something yeah i just figured somebody was you know they had a guy under the stage or something just jamming them or like a, a mechanism that just shot it up into his mouth or something yep. but it, it was actually it coming out and then he reverse says what he's supposed to say and i love it too because those hands they they look like something you get out of a dollar store off of those cheap ass skeletons <laughs> like they literally yeah. just flop around and and uh, when he puts his hand up to prevent the eye pokes then they come in from either side it's just so many cool little gags i freaking loved it that that had to be second to the windmill with the mini ashes the mini ashes was kind of funny in a way but when you get to that scene all hope is lost for anything serious oh yeah it's it's super slapstick it is that's it's a hundred percent that's exactly what it is and it's especially the part where he starts screaming into the camera and then you see the, like the <laughs> 20 fists hit him all at once and he's like oh oh oh, oh smack, smack 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 and you're like oh yeah here we go we, we've lost <laughs> any dramatic traction we could have well especially the scene that jp mentions right you know they do the old poke to the eyes and then he puts his hand up the block and he does that ha, 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 and then you get the two fingers from either side jamming him in the eyes and he's like yeah they look like they actually got him in the eye in a couple of those takes i have no doubts that sam didn't give a shit <laughs> got, got him in the eye perfect reaction Shove it into bruce's nostril and pull it do it. Do it. Put it into his mouth. Pull his cheeks. He probably had no idea for half of them. And then he started going with it because, you know, he, he knows what fucking Sam's up to. And, and like what? He gets he gets the finger poke of doom to his eyes, uh, face smacked, thing, you know, fish hooked. Like it, it's every cliche Three Stooges face smack routine happens to him in that graveyard. Yeah. Yeah. In that tiny little scene. Did they at least keep that? the whole bit of that between the two cuts um if i remember correctly i think they did i think that whole scene was they did yeah they, awesome. they totally did the the really the major scene that got cut was the windmill and part of the evil ash stuff well and and the climax with the the battle at the castle holy crap was that ever switched up and it was a lot longer and you know what? That's actually where we're headed to next is the final battle. We're going to go to the conclusion of this show. Let's wrap things up and and see how they actually could bring this to a head. Well, the whole entire end battle is kind of interesting in a way that uh, all of a sudden, again, Ash Williams is able to just become a genius with chemistry. He creates a whole bunch of bombs. Um, probably one of the most genuinely funny parts was just when the guy picked up like that little bag of powder and he started moving it towards the candle <laughs> yes. and you see Bruce look over and he's like whoa whoa whoa, no, whoa. No, 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 no. what the hell and are you doing he slowly pulls the candle away after he's like he's like no no don't do that and the guy turns around he just reaches over slowly pulls the candle towards himself yeah. just like not even stopping looking at the guy oh <laughs> 
Oh, it's it's the mon- it's the montage, right? They're prepping for battle. Well, because he comes he comes back, he's got the book under his arm, and the first thing they say is like, Well, did you say the words? Well, yeah, I said them. Well, more and or you can tell his conscience sort of got him got at him here because he's he's like, Yeah, I did. Fuck, leave me alone. Just like he comes in the whole castle. He's like, fucking get out of my way, like Derek mentioned earlier. And uh and then as they start, you know, question him a little bit more, that's when he's sort of like, uh, well, I, I didn't quite say them the way I was supposed to, right? He could have just said, you know what, fuck it. Yeah, I did. Now get me the hell home. When you removed the Necronomicon from the cradle, did you speak the words? Yeah, basically. Did you speak the exact words? Look, maybe I didn't say every single little tiny syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Dung eating fool! Thou hast doomed us all! And then he's just sort of, you know, he, he admits what he did and sort of, you know, takes his beatings a little bit. So, yeah, he, he sort of admits there's his mistake uh they they sort of like you know shun him right and this is the weird thing is is the uh the first one to really turn his back on him is the blacksmith and his blacks the blacksmith has sort of been like this emotion uh this emotional uh cornerstone for this whole movie like you know at the beginning when ash you know he's fighting the deadite and the hand gets lopped off and it hits the one guy in the face so the guy gets a deadite face pump it's the it's the blacksmith that looks and laughs and then, and then uh, later on, uh, it's it's him that sort of like looks at Ash all disappointed, and then walks away. And then it's also him again that's the first guy that when Ash does his big speech is like, "I have your back" or whatever. But, but what what's with this guy? What makes this guy the guy that goes, "Yeah, he's got his back. We're gonna go with him." He, you know, the bigger question is why isn't he king? Yeah, he, he well, obviously yeah. he's a man of influence. Yeah, the king has like the king's like, no, nah, fuck you. And then the blacksmith's like, no, you got I, I'm I got your back. And then everybody's like, well, if the blacksmith is on board, like that just put a lot of faith in the Arthur, right? <laughs> like, no, it's Ted Raimi that follows in after that. You have my sword, and you're like, oh, it's Ted Raimi. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> I knew he was in here somewhere. He was in there. Like, he had a few different roles in that one. Yes, he did. So then they go from, and this is another thing. Ash is like uh, the best speaker ever known to man. I mean, better than Trump, who's the oh best God. with all of his words. Um, he sits there, does his spiel. Everybody who is, uh, you know, they're all turned his back on him. They, you know, they don't trust him. He's caused all this, you know, the deadites to come after them because they just said, you know, the book will get you home, but you've done fucked us up real bad. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, does his spiel. And now everybody's like, okay, yeah. Okay, sure. Like, why? This guy has done nothing but cause you guys problems. And all of a sudden now you want to back up his, you know, back him up. Hey, they took his girl. They did take his girl. They took Sheila. And he can't stand for that. He's got to be the hero. If only he had a ranged weapon of sorts, he might have been able to stop that creature from taking her. Maybe. If only. He had something that could go boom and drop it. Like some sort of stick. Yeah. 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 That's very odd, isn't it? It's very convenient <laughs> at the points where they actually remove that from any encounter he has. And then all of a sudden it's on his back again. And you're like, where was it? Because this is not an object you just lose, right? No. It's, it's that in the chainsaw. And I'm sort of uh, like JP did in the Star Trek one. I'm going to do here. I'm going to make an excuse for the movie. He's got limited ammunition. He's got limited fuel and oil for the chainsaw. So he's got to use them sparsely. He can't just, you know, 
lop off every deadite he sees at the head at the neck right and he can't just shoot every single one like a zombie game i get the limitations but at the same time you can literally see a scene where you don't see it on his back at all and then all of a sudden it's on his back oh yeah, yeah it's it's not the fact that he's not using it it's the fact that it just comes and goes on a whim yes well he's pulling it out of his uh magical asshole yes that's, that's a little that's a little much <laughs> I think. well he's got a pouch of many things apparently hmm it's a sphincter of many holdings. Okay. No. 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 Okay. Oh. All right. Um. So she kid. She's kidnapped now, right? Yes. So now she becomes one of the deadites after the most uh, cringy kiss that you could ever have on TV. That's longer in the director's cut as well. Oh yeah, it's gone. It's <laughs> cringy. It's oh, uh, there's tongue and everything. Oh uh, yeah, it was gross. I mean, yeah. kudos to that that makeup because you look at it and you go, uh, Jesus, what did they do to you, Ash? Yeah, no, I like that they did that. Like they had a really heavy influence on like the the practical special effects in this movie. I guess it's from the times too, but they didn't have to involve so many different styles, right? Well, that that was the weird part is that what felt most out of place, even though it's kind of a tribute and it's something that Sam Raimi does with all of his films. He always loves to tribute stuff. That's that's why we see so many tributes within this film alone. Yeah. Um, but his last one was basically a nod to uh, Harryhausen and his skeleton scene from Jason and the Argonauts. So he's using stop motion skeletons, but very sparingly. And the points that they jump in take you out of it very jarringly because up until that point, they're using a puppet or they're using a person within a a suit because they had female dancers who had very slim bodies uh, put into certain skeletal costumes for very smooth movement and far shots. For the zombies that had a little bit more meat on their bones, there was peoples in costumes. Um, They also had um, a bunch of people, or sorry, they had, like you were saying, the mix of the stop motion. But they, they had it all together in the same action frame shot and that's what you're saying took you out of it well it it, that takes you out of it or even if you're you're watching him fight up close to a puppet and it was very smooth motion and then you jump back out and then all of a sudden you jump back in and it's a stop motion skeleton then you jump back out and you jump back in and it's a puppet one again so you you know the stop motion in this isn't to harryhausen standards it's not as smooth um and then it's just it it's so sparingly used that what was the point they figured out so many ways to make the puppets and everything work well i think they should have just taken the one direction instead of doing three different ways of of expressing them yeah and i think the perfect example for that is when they uh you know when they start to charge the castle (gasps) cry havoc um they they you see these two horses uh horseback riders start heading with the, with the army uh one guy is an actual guy in a costume and on the other horse is is a dummy and you see it just sort of flopping backwards and getting jarred around and it just it really takes you out of it and there was a lot of lot of points in that battle scene where it would just exactly like Derek said. You'd see, you know, people in costumes, or it's the it's the stop motion, or the just the dummies bouncing around. And though the one scene where you see the skeleton on fire and he's charging, and his head just sort of falls off, <laughs> and then he's I, quiet, and then he's qu- yeah, and then he's quiet. I can't help but wonder if that was an accident, like the head wasn't meant to fall off. Uh huh. And they just went with it. I mean, they could have. It, it might have been. But it just seems like something so funny that happened 
that, yeah, let's go with it because that was perfect. It was the example of, say, The Simpsons when Homer's like, I am so smart, SMRT. Mm-hmm. He, he was supposed to, the line was supposed to be S-M-A-R-T. He wasn't supposed to screw it up. But he did. Yeah, so I wonder and if it was one it. of those things. Well, I think there was a lot of that kind of going on in the, uh, this, especially this final battle scene because it's so, so evolved. But I, I think kind of going to the different styles, it's what we see in a lot of movies today, except now instead of doing stop motion, they have CGI in place of it. It's so they can do different things like with um, like, say, the Muppet style skeletons, you can't really have them helping each other up out of the grave effectively. So now you have to use the stop motion. Um, now you have a, another skeleton that's actually, you know, cheering and, and moving around and physically doing stuff. Well, that has to be a person in a suit. Um, this guy's going to get his hand chopped off and he needs to actually, you know, be present. So now we have to use the, the puppet again. They just didn't do a very good job of making it um, interweave. Yeah. Again, the reality of this is so juxtaposed right off the hop. We're not even trying to take it seriously anymore at this point. So it didn't matter. Like, I I almost feel sometimes Sam is doing corny um, effects like that almost on purpose. Like, he wants you to know, yeah, don't take any of this seriously. We're not even trying to make it look real. Uh, I I wonder if that's kind of the purpose. But again, I also believe deep down... Uh, it's also just him wanting to give a tribute to something he enjoyed as a kid. And Jason and the Argonaut scene, I mean, when Harryhausen did that scene, when he did the, all that, all the stop motion skeletons, that was a feat. That was a huge feat at the time. Nobody had ever attempted that. And as a special effect for that time period, it was an amazing sequence. And he just likes to pay tribute to the people he enjoys, the people he loved, the things he grew up with, so much so that it influences his films almost to a detrimental point, but it is what gives Sam Raimi his style and his charm. I think what really makes me enjoy, or in this whole final battle thing, I think what I enjoyed the most were the puppet-type skeletons, where they were like not actually, they weren't a dude in a suit, they weren't, stop motion it was just like a doll that was done and to your point there about having fun with it and just you know like nothing was expected there's one point where ash after the car blows up uh well i want to touch on that too but after the car blows up he's walking away and then three skeletons come at him and one is very clearly thrown at him from offset (laughs) he grabs it and snaps it in half with his leg right like i'm sure he was like here Take it, kill it, take it, kill it. Here's another one, kill it. Well, that one and uh, the skeleton that he pulls off of Buddy's back that's trying yes. to stab him. Oh, bad. They look like it's just, it's its so bad, it's good, right? Like this <laughs> is ones- this is honestly one of the best B movies out there. I'm, I, I got to put it in that category because that's what it is. Oh, it is. And that one line of the skeleton who runs up in front of the camera, let's get out of here. <laughs> yes, at the end. Yeah, I love yeah. how that had to be a very, Different, a very different type of voice. They're all up to that point. We're very evil skeletons. And then it's like, let's get out of here. Let's get the hell out of here. Like a very frou-frou German guy. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, where are we going next? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. I'm stuck. Nope. Oh, broken. <laughs> we got a nope. broken host. Yeah, the host got broke. Um, oh, yeah. Going back to uh, the car. I love how they had that propeller on in front of it because, again, they had these skeletons set up in their little arena. And he's like, okay, hit some. 
Yeah. And that was another thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, in the director's cut, you actually see him run for the hills, more or less. He, he gets, he's like, he gets, it looks like he's feeling overwhelmed and he runs into, out of the, out of the courtyard. And Arthur's like, whoa, he turns our, our, he turned his back on us and all that sort of stuff. So again, he's doubting out Ash. And then the next thing you know, he's, you know, blasting out in the Oldsmobile. And and this battle was so drawn out. Like it, there was things that they probably could have left in from the director's cut in, in this, but a lot of it, it was so, it, it drew out a lot of stuff that it didn't need to. And even to the point where like the battle felt over for quite a while before Henry's uh, uh, army eventually came in to, to join and help. Out. Yeah, it, it seemed a lot better the way, that it seemed really well done the way they did it for the the theatrical release whereas henry's bat army pretty much picked up the pieces and you know fought off what was left it just it was so drawn out but that car if you look there's scenes where ash is driving it by himself and there's scenes where there's another soldier in there you know taking swings at people and stuff like that and it's like then it'll flash back and it's just Ash. Then it goes back and it's both of them. And it's just Ash. It's both of them back, forth, back, forth. And when the car flips, the last, when you see him bail, that poor knight is still in the car. So he's like dead. But even so, like you're saying flashing around and it, it's, it's you, the, the scene is changing from one to another back and forth. But at least in this movie, they had good fight scenes where the camera was steady. You saw the action happen. It wasn't this um, Jason Bourne freaking shaky camera fight where you don't know what the fuck is going on, but you hear f- punchy noises and, and fooshies. For this battle, I will have to agree with you for the earlier stuff, especially when the the old woman or whatever attacks Ash in the courtroom. It's very, it's the, it's, it's something like out of Batman Begins. It, the camera's bouncing all over the place and it's, it's really hard to follow. I mean, you got an idea of what's going on, but it did get better come the final battle. And, and they did, they used it in specific, areas i do know the the scene you're talking about and the the kind of camera that they used they did intentionally to kind of hide some of the uh the action you know when you're punching somebody you're punching past them so we need to kind of shift the the camera around here and by the shaky camera it does heighten your your uh tensions well but then but then you get to the later scenes like we're talking about and there's a point where bruce campbell gotta sit there and actually give him kudos for this he's actually doing a dual sword fight with two swords, one in each hand with one opponent on each end, going up up the stairs at the same time. And I have to imagine that that was actually very difficult for him to do. Um, the stuntmen have always made Bruce look a hell of a lot better than he is, but that was one thing where he had to be very ambidextrous, keep his balance, and move up the stairs in time with the two stuntmen that he was fighting. You're uh, going down. Uh, yeah, I'm going up. Yeah, but it was very well done. It was very well done, and it was very interesting to see just how much uh, physicality Bruce Campbell had to put into it. And it's too bad that they just didn't showcase that for other scenes where, yeah, there was that shaky cam that was... mm, I get what what Sam Raimi was trying to do, but it became unnecessary. Like, by the last half of the film, you never see it again. So again, it's a change in styles. I think think that's the one thing that maybe drew this back. As successful as the movie was, um, one thing is it was very... 
all over the place. Technically, it was all over the place. Thematically, it was all over the place. And and for some people, it would be hard to watch and still be entertained. I mean, if you just take it for what it is, it's just a, a romp and you're just having a laugh and take it for a comedy. That's probably the best way to absorb it. Otherwise, you're going to sit there and you're just going to be like, wow, this is kind of what's going on. I don't know anymore. It's something that's kind of odd, too, about the very end of this movie is that after the battle, they fight, they kill the guy, he goes and explodes. I'm, he's going to be like the Terminator. He's just going to reassemble himself and come back. How do you kill something that's already dead? Well, that's kind right? of the point to what Ash is supposed to do all throughout his history is he kills what's considered the unkillable. Because he because of what he did with the book and didn't say the word. So they're haunting him now. But he's also the one thing that the book keeps alluding to about him being the chosen one. When they brought that up in Army of Darkness, it's very interesting because I had started into watching Ash versus Evil Dead before I started watching Army of Darkness. Oh, okay. And again, the book in, in it alludes to him being the chosen one. And there's actually literally a picture of him standing on what looks like a mountain of bodies holding up his boomstick over his head and what looks to be possibly a chainsaw on his one hand. And it's like a very rough pictograph drawing inside the Necronomicon, but it's referring to him as being the guy. He's the only one that can put put a stop to this. Um, so it's interesting that he's kind of been chosen and and it shows through the movies. He's the only one to survive. He's the only one to keep going. He's the only one that keeps dropping these suckers. Yeah, and just having that kind of a thing in your movie or in your lore, it just it opens the door for you to do so much more. And how did that get in there? Maybe he went further back in the past. Maybe he's the one who made the Necronomicon. You know, like you can totally go anywhere you want with that kind of a, a setup. The one thing I did like about the final battle is they did toss. I mean, there was a bunch of things I liked about the final battle, uh, but they did really well. Like, let's get all of our last one-liners in while we can, like, you know, he's going up the stairs. You're going down. I'm going up. Um, he's fighting uh, Sheila's uh, deadite form. And she's like, you, used, you you found me beautiful at once. And he's like, he's like, honey, you got real ugly. And it's shit like that. Like, it's like the, you can't at this point, you cannot take this movie serious at any bit, at any point. It is like we that ship has sailed. <laughs> it's, it's all goofy shit from here on out. It's all comedy. The archers, when they go to... You know, when they're charging the castle and you see the fuses going down and the archers are just staring at it like, um, we see what this does. Yeah, <laughs> like this is going to blow up on our faces. And of course, it's the last second, you know, fire. But the look on their faces, they were like, they're really unnerved. <laughs> they had no idea what to expect. No. Yeah. Um, there was another bit there when he calls out with the Oldsmobile, you know, the souped up Oldsmobile. He's like, say hello to the fun 21st century. That was such a gaffe. And we picked yeah. up on that right away. We're like, wait a minute. What do you mean 20th century? And then I was like, Ash is not a genius. As much as <laughs> he plays himself off to be this guy that came up with this whole battle plan. Again, it feeds into my theory that he's making shit up as he goes along because he's not really smart. No, he's uh, even trying to do a smart ass line. He came off as an idiot. And he kind of <laughs> is one, right? Like, but it's. No, it's, it's stuff like that. A lot of the one-liners, like I was saying, uh, even the one skeleton that's trying to come up, up after him before he gets pulled up to the top of the parapet. And he's, what does he say? He's like, uh, 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 I'll cut your gizzard out. And he does it that sort of higher-pitched voice. And then once Ash, you know, cuts the rope and goes up, and then, you know, the weight of rocks comes crashing down. He does that over-exaggerated, before it gets crushed. Oh, don't forget his line after he misses him. Oh, I missed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot <laughs> 
fucking love that. He was so disappointed. Oh, I missed. Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we keep bouncing back and forth on is is the skeletons, even though they looked hokey, they had some of the greatest little personalities to them. It was it was great. Like they did they did a real good job with what they did, even though a lot of what they did looks like shit. They gave it character, which is something that they don't yes. really do. Like how many zombies in The Walking Dead had character? Not many. I don't know. I've never seen it, so I shouldn't use that as a reference. <laughs> well, that that could be a little different because you're talking zombies and there's no real... Oh, zombies can have personality. Come on. You get a fat zombie, you got instant personality. When evil Ash gets launched with the catapult full of uh, gunpowder or whatever, and blow, yeah. like that little, he blows his top. Like it's the last little bit of And you cheese. see the brain. Yeah, like the, the top of the, <laughs> the skull pops off and it's just, you, you pretty much see steam coming out of what would should be where his ears are, right? It's just like, ah! Yeah, and then and <laughs> so then, bad. And yeah, and then all the little fucking skeletons are running loose. They're all like, yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. So you got all the <laughs> the, the, the the risen dead are now all throughout the land. Um the little mini ashes. That's the thing, is what happened to these fuckers? That bugs the shit out of me. Yeah, I know. They all just sort of disappeared. Some of them may have been dismembered, but you know, they're not dead. Yeah. Well they are dead. Or they're not stopped. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Battle ends very abruptly. And even in the director's cut, it doesn't make sense. Like they did cut it better for the theatrical version. So at least uh, Henry comes in at a better time and he's more helpful to them. But all in all, the battle at the very end doesn't make any sense. Yeah, Evil Ash dies and then they're done. It's just over. They're done. There isn't the rest of them to take care of or anything like that. And then they all meet in the courtyard and they have their little pretend standoff. And then, you know, and then everybody cheers and yay, hero of the day kind of stuff. But I was just like, wow, that wrapped up real quick, didn't it? Like, yeah, real nice and tidy. It's like they're running out of time for their movies. Like, okay, we got to end this now. Yeah, the army's like, cheese it, I'm out of here. And then they become best friends. Um, Everybody's happy. And then the scene where he got the fluid and it was different for both. So much different. So in the first one, they recorded it correctly. Like the, the wise man said his lines and he's basically sitting there telling him, you know, you need to take six drops. Five one drops. for each. Or no, six. He told him six. He ended up taking six? seven. Yeah, he ended up taking seven. So he told him, you know, take six drops, once, one for each century. Because he's going to go from the 1300s to the 1900s, right? Oh, yeah. So he, he's supposed to take six drops for every century, and that's how long you'll sleep, blah, blah, blah. In the theatrical cut, they dub over it, and they just tell him to drink it, and he'll wake up in his time. <laughs> and, I, and I point that out, Eric, and I'm like, see how his mouth is moving very differently, but they're pulling the shot further back, so you can't really see that. And Eric's just like, oh, shit, they are, too. And I'm like, yeah, they didn't, they didn't even refilm that scene. They just used the old one and recorded over it. Uh, because that one was done very hastily. Like, they had to call Bruce Campbell back to do that whole sequence in S-Mart where he fights one more deadite um, because they didn't like the ending. The original ending, he falls asleep, and it's really drawn out. Like, you get to see him go through the ages and sleep, and he's you know eventually under webs and has a really long beard. And he digs himself out, and he comes out, and he finds it's the future, and it's a post-apocalyptic future. Earth has kind of been destroyed, and he screams out, No! no! I yeah. slept too long! And then the fade to black, and then you see the credits, and you just hear him laugh. Like, he snapped. <laughs> this is this was the point of no return for the poor guy. 
And that's what the studio didn't like, is that it didn't like the option of no return. They wanted to always leave an option open because at this point, in their minds, it was kind of considered a mini franchise anyway. So they turned around and they told Sam, first of all, we need a, a better ending for him to, you know, you know, have kind of a happy ending to a point. And then we need it so it's open-ended that we can do something else. Yeah, because so it they, was quite the downer ending, right? Right, Because it's, it's like he, he, as much of an ass as he is, you want to see him get back to his time and, and whatever, right? And then it just... All the shit that happened to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Eric's favorite scene is the end one because he loves the trampoline. Oh, like, that freaking Power Ranger flippy bullshit <laughs> with the Jedi. Nothing beats like, that fucking fight. Oh, my God. That is the best choreographed fight in the entire movie, in my opinion, just because at that point, no shits were given. Just take it so far over the top, it's stupid. And, you know, he grabs the Remington rifle and literally he fires something like 38 bullets and that only hold 15 or 14 or something like that. Like, it's not meant to hold that many, but he's sitting there just pounding off the shots and, like, he kicks this cart so it starts rolling and then he shoots and then he jumps onto it and he shoots some more and you're like, what was the point to any of that? Couldn't you just, I don't know, hop off the counter and walk towards her and do the same thing? Well, he had to make it flashy, right? It's all about presentation. Oh, yeah, and then she flips and then he shoots her some more and he, she pushes off the wall and then he shoots her some more and then she bounces off the trampoline and he shoots her some more and you're just like, wow. And then he does the big flip at the end and then slides it into the... Like, he had time to put on that holster and it, it's supposed to be a back <laughs> holster. But he puts it on his leg like he's got a six-shooter and he, like, flips it around and he slides it right in. I gotta commend Bruce Campbell for taking the time to learn how to flip all these guns in his hand and do this shit because he made it seamless and one thing you don't pick up on is how smooth he is doing it every time and not coming close to screwing it up. It looks like he's done it a million times. And well, that is actually um, an intentional thing on Bruce Campbell's part because he's left-handed. Yes. So they wanted to make sure he, he asked, can my right hand be chopped off? That way I still have my dominant hand to be able to do other things with. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's it's he's good at it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like when he spins the the shotgun, uh, that's a staple thing that he does in Ash versus Evil Dead as well. He sits there and he spins it on his finger, right, and then he slides it into his holter on his back, and you're just like, man, he just he doesn't let that go. Like he can spin that sucker, and it's it's hard to do. It's hard to practice. Yeah, it's way harder than people think. So he's got an amazing coordination. Like you know, despite what you think of the film and kind of how cheesy the effects and everything are, Bruce Campbell put in a lot of work. Like he put in a lot. Yeah, to do everything he was doing you know dual hand sword fighting and and spinning of guns and, and you know doing the kicks and and taking the hits and literally sometimes taking the hits like real hits to sell the effect right um you know the guy went through a lot and and that's probably the main thing that stands out at you is bruce isn't afraid to do anything and that's that's probably why he became so popular as well from this character was you got to see that Bruce will do literally anything. He's not afraid to take on something tough or do something crazy or zany. He'll do it all. And there was a little bit of of himself in that role too. Like as, as with any actor in the role, they do put a little bit of themselves into it. So there was a little. I thought I thought this was an autobiography of Bruce Campbell's <laughs> life. Autobiography, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen the guy in an interview and he talks? He's he's friggin' Ash Williams. 
24-7, I swear he is. He talks like, and and the, the things he does, he goes, I fucking hate fans. Well, I, not that he hates fans. He says he doesn't understand how people like Beyonce and all these people can have fans clamoring over them 24-7. He says he thinks it's cool the way he has fans. Every once in a while, somebody walking down the street be like, hey, you're Bruce Campbell. He'd be like, yeah, that's me. Instead of being comp- constantly hounded. The interesting thing about Bruce Campbell is he's so anti-Hollywood. And, uh-huh. and it shows in one thing, uh, especially his filmography. This Army of Darkness was the first and last time that he was was ever cast as a leading man in a film, in a, in a high-end production film. Everything else, he's just bit parts. It's either bit parts or it's an independent film. But for a major studio film, this is the first and last time he was a leading man, was Army of Darkness. So he's so <laughs> anti-Hollywood in so many ways. It's very interesting to listen to him talk about the Hollywood effect. Um, my One of my favorite conversations with him was when he got interviewed by uh, people talking about uh, Xena, working on Xena and Hercules. Mm-hmm. And he said he loved it because... You know, it's it's great. It's so diverse and there's so many different things happening and you get to see so many different things. And he said, but the thing I don't understand is why it didn't win more awards. Like you you have a procedural doctor show and it gets best costume at the Grammys and or at, at the award ceremonies. And you're wondering why, because all they did was just go and order scrubs. And he said, every single costume you got to see in Xena and Hercules was handmade and was yeah. used once for all the different extras. It was used once and they always came up with new costumes and they always created new ones. And they came up with such, such interesting designs. Why wasn't they ever, you know, nominated for that? And he, he thinks the Hollywood machine to a point is kind of broken. The one thing I really liked about when they transitioned from him leaving the castle at the end to present day as he's telling his story. And if this is all being from his point of view, obviously there's been a little bit of embellishment, right? Because um, that's, that's just... Ash's character, I think. But he's telling it to uh, Ted Raimi. So apparently he's, you know, working with one of the the, the villagers' descendants at S-Smart <laughs> later on down the line. Right. He didn't even have glasses in the in the past scene. No, I don't think they had glasses. Oh, I thought he had I thought he had his glasses on in the the, the other scenes. No, I don't think so. No. Oh. They're at least smart enough for that. The interesting thing is, even though he's telling this story to Ted Raimi's character uh, as a, a fellow employee of Smart, I still am of the theory that either is some of it is bullshit or all of it is. And I almost want to think that when he went and chopped off his hand, he passed out and had a friggin' fever dream. <laughs> that would explain a lot of the shit in this movie. And that's what all this is, is just him telling the fever dream like it really happened. Because at this point, he's already out of his mind, right? Like he's seen shit he shouldn't have seen. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think that his brain made up the rest and then he woke up, quote unquote, in the future after drinking the potion. And that's not any any of how it happened. I almost want to pretend that he had the fever dream, passed out, woke up, and then went back home. I got to wonder how much of this shit that he tells this guy, like how many stories does he normally come up with? Because he's telling him this story about what just happened to him. And he looks so bored. Yeah, he looks like, yeah, okay, whatever, Ash. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, so did you say the words properly this time? And he's like, yeah, mostly. mostly. And then you can just sort of see him kind of ponder it. Like, oh, wait. The last time I mostly said it right, shit hit the fan. So so now he's kind of pondering, uh, am I okay? Is everything okay? And, and well, that kind of 
like it can't be just a fever dream because then there's a deadite that shows up in the supermarket. That's not that's not what I'm disputing. The deadite can show up because he's he's encountered them in reality before. That's not that's not in dispute here. But I think after he cut off his hand and thought that he defeated everybody, he passed out, woke up, and in that time he had that dream of being back in 1300 because nothing about it was accurate. Nothing about it was was even remotely thirteen hundreds were like. And and then there's just the fact that there's all that slapstick in there. And what's funny about even even mentioning that slapstick is that is something that never comes up ever again. If you watch Evil Dead One and you watch Evil Dead Two, very, very horror heavy, and even if you go to uh Ash versus the Evil Dead, there's no slapstick. There's no comedy. Like there's comedy. There's there's comedy in the sense that Bruce Campbell is always cracking quips and making jokes but the rest of it's played off a little bit more seriously it's not the slapstick three stooges type comedy no face stretching no mini ashes no skeletons doing all the three stooges stuff none of that's present in any of the rest of it so it makes me believe that no matter what army of darkness was his fever dream you can't convince me otherwise <laughs> damn Raimi, quote me on it quote me on it motherfucker <laughs> prove us wrong it kind of makes sense yeah, so the deadite showing up at the end is just another day in Ash's life. But as for the rest of it, like I, I don't believe that any of that happened, honestly. Well, because in that scene, doesn't he have like a, a bandage on his head? Yeah. So what? He also had still had the cuts on his face when he went into the past, and then he came yeah. out of oh. the past. It was the same cuts. Before I totally forget, speaking of cuts on his face, uh, during that last battle scene. Um, he had fallen down uh, the flight of stairs or something like that. He, he had done some sort of a tumble where the pin that was on his cloak, on his costume, ended up gashing open his face. And he didn't think anything of it because he's already got like six or seven other cuts on his face until someone's like, no, you're like dripping blood. You're bleeding your own blood this time. So they took him to the hospital. And at the hospital, they're like, uh, so what am I fixing <laughs> what am i looking at here yeah they couldn't tell because they had all the makeup cuts still on his face and they're like which which one's the real one yeah and he actually had to go for plastic surgery for that slash yeah and then yeah, it was a good gash and then he was back on set like a few days later because it's ash because and brutal. he's and they could just add it in it's just another scratch on his face yep. yeah no that it's uh it's interesting how they even went and hit his other actual facial scar because he has a very prominent l-shaped uh, scar on his chin and in the sequence they they made it a cut so they actually put cut makeup over top of his actual scar oh <laughs> so try that's to, smart try to hide the fact that it was there because they're still trying to make him look hollywood handsome and you know hollywood handsome doesn't have scars on their face so i guess that kind of moves us on to the end of the show we've we're finished it derek what what was it that worked for you uh what worked for me nothing I will put it this way. I will literally put it this way. If you're trying to sit there and dissect it as a piece of film, it's pretty awful. I don't think it had any consistency. I don't think before or after Sam Raimi has ever done anything so off the wall. In my opinion, he's always at least kept his style consistent with whatever else he does. But Army of Darkness is everywhere. It's like he just, whatever, let's let's do whatever. Let's have fun with it. We were given a big budget. This is, this is obviously going to be Universal Pictures' fault, no matter how we go about it, uh, for giving me such a big budget. But let's let's have something really fun, and he did that. But the drawback is that stylistically, it's all over the place. Uh, the effects are also kind of all over the place. There's no one consistent set 
of rules that they're following with those particular uh, special effects that are going into it. So if I were to look at it in the stylistic terms or, or even just as a film, no chance. No chance does it do anything for me. However, that being said, if you let your brain go and you just sit there and you just want to laugh at something because it's that fucking god awful, this is the world's most successfully done B-movie because it doesn't even try to hide the fact. It's not even one of those B-movies that tries to pretend it could be A-list. It is literally a B-movie being a B-movie to the nth degree. So if you get to a point where you, you're looking at it in that way and you're able to let go and just be entertained by it and let it be mindless, it's great. And with Bruce Campbell, the type of person he is and the type of presence he brings off, you know you're in for slapstick and he's doing it perfectly. Like the one thing that saves it for me probably is him because he's giving the right type of vibe all the way through. He's aware that it's going to be viewed as kind of a offbeat, off-kilter comedy. So he sells it as such, no problem. And that's what makes it amazing. That's why I think people clamor to this is mostly Bruce Campbell made an amazing performance and just fit the tone that, that was being done with the film perfectly. And everybody else is just playing their parts around him. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And he's the only one that's fully self-aware that this is completely B-movie schlock. Okay, so then Eric, what was your um, positive takeaways or what was your takeaway from, from the show? Um, yeah, you know what? I'd have to agree with Derek on this one. I, I remember watching it, like I said, when I was 16 and I just, I had so much fun with it. Uh, now when I look at it and I'm trying to, you know, critique it, I guess it's, whew, it's, it's a fun movie, but yeah, you really need to shut your brain off for it. Um, it's like the stuff with the, with, if that whole windmill bit wasn't in it, I honestly don't know if I would enjoy the movie nearly as much as I did. I think that was that was the main draw for the movie because a lot of the stuff kind of just happens and moves him into the places that he needs to be. And then, you know, the windmill stuff happens is a good comedy bit. But yeah, that's that's where the tone really, really changes. Yes. And so, um, yeah, if you want to if you want to look at it as like a really good movie or something like that, that you really want to, you know, enjoy and not have to be pulled out of it at any point and eh, this this isn't that movie if you want a movie like he said like derek said yeah shut the brain off and just enjoy because oh my god it is still a fun movie it is a lot of fun as long as you don't you know take any offense to any of the 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 mishaps or the the goofs or the if you're not looking to pick it apart that's that this it's a great movie if if you get bugged by that stuff eh, it's it's got to be the best b movie ever made like i said earlier awesome yeah i i kind of i see what you guys are talking about and, and having to shut your brain off to be able to actually enjoy the movie i don't think it's quite that bad i think that there was a lot of of clever things that they had put into the movie that really helped it stand out. Uh, the humor, even all this time later, is still on point. It's kind of a timeless sort of like that's what that's why slapstick works so well is it's timeless. Um, it was smarter of a movie than I than than we're giving it credit for, even though they had inconsistencies. I think they just didn't care as much about certain aspects of the movie and then gave concessions for others because they had an overall vision they wanted to maintain. So for me, some of the things that really worked were like, uh, the special effects as hokey and obviously fake. They were, they had that effort. They made, they, they went through that 
extra mile to get that dummy to crab walk alongside him. They they went that extra mile to have an eyeball in his shoulder looking around. Um, they had the mini ashes, the, the sequence where he's punching himself in the face. These are all really poorly done camera tricks or stop motion stuff. But that's the kind of effort that you don't even see into movies anymore. I, I feel so much of the, the computer generated stuff is just a cheap, well, it's not cheap, sorry. It's just an easier way to do what you wanna do and, and without limitations. Having those limitations grounds it more in reality. Okay, guys, so now let's let's tie things up at the end of the show. We don't like the boring old 10 out of 10 system. Let's liven it up. Instead of stars, what out of 10 would you guys give this movie? Eric, you go first. Um, I'm kind of leaning between six and seven. I'll probably just because I have so much. Like, I, I love the movie. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I kind of shat on it a little bit, but I do love the movie. So, you know what? I'm going to give it a, a seven hails to the king out of ten. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Derek. So what are you going to give this out of ten? Wow. So that's a tough one. Uh, I am actually going to go a bit lower than Eric on this one. I, I enjoy it to a point, but I definitely wouldn't view it like every weekend or, or, you know, every year, it's probably going to be another 20 years before I watch it again. Uh, <laughs> but having said that, you know, it's still got some charm. It's still definitely got Bruce Campbell as uh, a powerhouse in his own way. I would have to give it, ooh, let's see, uh, six dropped 88 Oldsmobiles out of 10. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, you went lower than than Eric, and I kind of have to go even lower for mine. I give this three out of ten Three Stooges skeletons because it's, it's a skeleton of, of a comedy show where they've just kind of picked apart all the good stuff. And what you're left with is an impressive. It's not well done, but for whatever reason, it's still kind of funny. So it's it's not a good movie, but to enjoy it, it doesn't have to be good. It's a very interesting viewpoint. I didn't think you'd go that low. Yeah, no, especially with your uh, your your final thought, as it were. I thought you'd go a little higher. I I three out of ten. That just a bad movie. I was gonna go six, but I, I I had to bump it up to seven. I don't know why. All personal preference. Thanks for misfiring along with us today. So until next time. Hail to the king, baby. Theme song by Dania Vadovos. If you enjoyed your time here today, please make sure to give us a five-star rating and comment wherever podcasts live. If you would like to join the conversation, have some cinematic suggestions, or any other burning questions, please email us at synapticmisfire2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Synaptic Podcast, or find us on Facebook by searching for Synaptic Misfire. Just remember to keep your eyes open for that little green brain.